In this episode of Reliterated, we continue our journey through space and time in that classic tale of good versus evil, light versus dark, and control versus self-determination. No, it's not the Bible. It's A Wrinkle in Time, which is similar, but with far more tentacles. Let's tesser back in to finish the fight on Reliterated, the world's first 5D podcast. Welcome to Reliterated, the lowbrow book club of three grown-ass men reading the children's books popular in the 1990s, but with 2020s hindsight. Fair warning, we use language too mature for kids, analysis too immature for literary scholars, and ignorance too profound to be inoffensive to everyone. You can interact with us and enjoy all kinds of bonus content by searching Reliterated on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, and Facebook. Or you can ask us questions, suggest future episodes, or tell us what we've missed by sending us an email at reliterated at gmail.com. I am Andy, and with me are my co-hosts, Harold and Josh. Guys, how's it going this week? It is going all right. I'm having a great week myself. Oh yeah? What's what's new and exciting in your life? Well, I found, uh, I found a new used TV because my old TV, which was a 3D TV... On uh, my last move, it uh, it cracked and it was plasma, so it was dead. But I uh, womp, womp. just so happened upon one on Craigslist this week, so pretty happy that I got this brand new 3D TV LED, so I can replace the screen if it breaks uh, <laughs> in the future. It's a Vizio; nice. it's really nice. Uh, on the background, I was like, "Oh, what's that on the screen there?" Uh, it was actually part of the picture that I was using for the background <laughs> of my Xbox. It was a bird. I never noticed it on my old TV. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So I'm pretty excited about that. And uh, again, the move the move went great. Uh, My new job's awesome. So yeah, I'm I'm having a great week. Awesome. So now that you had a good experience on Craigslist, you're a Craighead now. Oh no, I just I found the thing I needed, and now I'm done. Josh Craighead Hazard. Josh Craighead Hazard. Ooh, there is a free section though, and I do like free. (laughs) You do like free shit. We all like free shit. So I actually have a very controversial statement to make right now. And I think I should do it at the open of the episode because I think it'll, you know, to really separate (laughs) true fans from the people who are just here for our good looks. Oh, man. Here we go. He has not told us what this was about. He just said he had something controversial to say and we started rolling. The Green Lantern starring Ryan Reynolds is not a bad movie. And I think it gets too much flack and it was just made at the wrong time. I think it's that controversial. Oh yeah, no it is. People hate it. I mean, in Deadpool (laughs) 2, they literally have a scene at the end where Ryan Reynolds shoots himself in the head before he can make the movie. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah, no, people hate that movie. But I watched it while I was waiting for you guys to be ready to podcast. And let me tell you, uh... Couldn't really separate it out from very many other superhero movies. Did it have cheese in it? Yes. <laughs> but was it as bad as everybody says it is? No. It actually does a pretty good job of uh, running the story of Hal Jordan and Green Lanterns in general. Hmm. And it has to do with space wizards that travel through space. So I figured it fit in with Wrinkle in Time. <laughs> space wizards. Nice. Do you think the issue is it just didn't like do enough to set up a whole DCCU Yeah, it didn't really drive towards making a a bunch of other DC films, which is often the problem with DC. They're either trying to make solo films 
or they're trying so hard to make a come together film that they try to do it in two movies, you know? So right. it just, it really wasn't, I was, I was really amazed when I was watching it. Cause I was like, you know, I have not watched this movie since the first time I saw it. And I can't remember if I liked it then too, but I know that over the years, it's just been constant joke about how bad it was after constant joke about how bad it was it, up until a point where they had the meta joke in Deadpool too. Right. And I'm watching it and I'm like, I really couldn't separate this out from from any other superhero movie that's been made in the last 10 years now. I mean, it's yes, it has some cheesy stuff and it's a victim of the time as far as the CGI for the suits and that. But realistically, it it does the same thing every other superhero movie does. Set up the character, give them their power. They have to learn their power, but they're wonky at it at first. And then they face the hardest threat any of their kind of hero has ever faced and prevail in the end. Yeah, I mean, it was like (laughs) (laughs) very formulaic, sounds like. Yeah. A lot of the hate was for the costume itself because it was CGI. I remember that being a big part of it. Like everyone made fun of the costume because it wasn't an actual costume. It was just CGI. doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. And the reason is, is that even though in the cartoon you can't tell... Hal Jordan or a Green Lantern's costume is a product of their will. It is a projection of their willpower. So it would be a glowy, like, laser costume, almost. Anyways, Hmm. I just wanted to get that out of the way and uh, separate the real (laughs) fans from the people who are just here for the looks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a good thing we're pretty. Yep. So part two of A Wrinkle in Time. We made it all the way to chapter four in the first episode. Yep. We got through three entire chapters. Yep. Also, there was a lot of uh, preface to to the book, and we talked a lot about this or that and other things. uh, Well, in Madeline Lingle really created some complicated characters as well. I mean, they're... In the way she puts them all together, I mean, I, I've listened to the episode a couple times now, and, and we we did a lot of discussion about, you know, how Meg is at this point where she doesn't understand herself, and mm-hmm. other people seem to, but they don't want to tell her about who she is. And we did a lot of talking about that. And at this point, they're about to go on their adventure. So, realistically, the adventure is is easier to talk about and faster, I think. I mean, like the very first thing of chapter four is like they are suddenly just snapped away from where they were, right? Right. All well, all of a sudden, the the landscape just fades away, and Meg has no idea where she is. It literally says she was completely alone. And this is a an effect of the way that the W sisters are making them travel. They go into this place where there's no light, no feeling. It's as if they don't even have their body. It's it's, it sounds to me like it comes to a point where when you travel like this, you become only your consciousness. Like there was no light, no darkness, no air, no no nothing. You just exist without anything else. Which, which is difficult. Like, I know I've said to people before, like, trying to describe nothing. There is no way to describe nothing because nothing is just that. It's nothing. There's no no tangible way to say it. However, this isn't exactly nothing, though, because her consciousness obviously still exists. She's going through something, um, but like she can't feel anything. She can't see anything. She can't hear anything. 
She's basically just her thoughts at this point. This was more than silence. A deaf person can feel vibrations. Here, there was nothing to feel. And then suddenly they were there. They were at a spot and Charles Wallace is in excitement. He's not in fear. Like Meg seemed to be in some kind of fear, but Charles Wallace is kind of like, whoa, that was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) You could have warned us. Yeah, he was scolding the the three W's for uh, for transporting them without without warning. Also, Meg took longer to arrive than the others did. So he was worried that she wasn't there and that the W's left her behind. But luckily she made it. Well, and I think that has something to do with, it it seems like it has something to do with the strength of uh, their, I don't know, their will or their, their belief in what's happening almost because Charles Wallace shows up first. He's like, okay, I'm all good. We're here. Kelvin comes next. And Meg is the one that is taking longer to get there. I thought it it was taking longer for her to get there because she wasn't a full whatever they are. You know how he said she's not really one of us, but she's not really one of them. She's different. So she's part of of that. And so that's why I think it took that in my head. That's why it took her longer is because she was not just like Charles and Kelvin. Like she's the least of whatever it is than uh, out of the three of them. Charles Wallace obviously is the most strongly, I don't know, we're going to have to put a word to this because the, the book never puts an exact word to it, but it's almost like a cosmic being or some kind of mutant. Right. I think that she fought it while she was there because she feared what was happening. Whereas Charles Wallace had less fear about what was happening because he trusts Mrs. Who, Mrs. Which, and Mrs. What's It. And I think he also had more awareness of what was happening, too. Kelvin is less fearful more because his character thus far has shown him to be somebody who just jumps into a situation and he's not pulled back from it. Right. Whereas Meg is in fear of everything. She's in fear that her father's gone. She's in fear that if somebody calls her brother stupid, that it's going to actually be true. Mm-hmm. She's in she's fear about how people look at her and what they think of her. Yeah, she's very tentative and unsure. Yep. So naturally, she takes the longest to uh, to get through to wherever they went. The place they go is uh, described as being this extremely beautiful place. Uh, golden light, tender green fields, multicolored flowers, There was a big, huge mountain that was reaching so high into the sky that its top was lost within the clouds. And then they hear Mrs. Who quoting Macbeth. When shall we three meet again in thunder, lightning or in rain? They're kind of playing off the whole three witches thing. And, you know, the three of them are just having a a wonderful time joking and laughing it up. And Charles Wallace kind of scolds them about not taking things too seriously. But here they kind of... uh, they truly meet uh, Mrs. Witch at this point, where they only just kind of heard her voice coming through before uh, before being transported. But now they kind of uh, actually start to get to know Mrs. Witch. Yeah, her description is just dead on w- a witch. Like and Wicked then, Witch of the West witch. Yeah, and then there appeared a figure in a black robe and a black peaked hat, beady eyes, a beak nose, and long gray hair. One bony claw clutched a broomstick. Yeah, that's a witch. (laughs) (laughs) And I think this is meant as some sort of joke, just playing with the whole expectations of of witches and who they are and how they must, how the kids must think of them. What I want to know is, does she weigh the same as a duck? Because that will prove whether or not she's actually a witch. (laughs) Yes, they never weigh her. Oh, 
Will she drown? <laughs> she She's such a coward that she won't fully manifest so that she could be weighed or, yeah, dunked in water to see if she drowns or set on fire to see if she burns because she's made of wood. <laughs> and I, I have to agree with your concept that she is kind of doing it as a little a joke or a prank because she says that they, they shouldn't lose their sense of humor because the only way to treat something deal with something serious is to treat it lightly. I think it's quite rude that Mrs. Who quotes something in uh, in an alphabet that's not our alphabet. <laughs> she says something in like ancient Greek. Right, and they even it's even written out like there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> that's why she has to translate. Yep. I remember they uh the narrator uh actually had the uh the Greek um uh, pronunciation of of whatever this is in the audiobook. That must have been interesting to <laughs> for them to uh to research. Yeah, I think you and I got the same audiobook. They talk about what that traveling was. They weren't traveling at any speed. They call it tesser. They say they tesser. Um, or also a wrinkle, which I assume means that old description where you fold space to try and travel from one point to another. Yeah, that's kind of how they uh, they explain it. They they let them know that they are now on the planet Uriel, the third planet of the star Malik in the spiral nebula Messier 101. And they explain how they got there by uh, one of the Mrs. W's like grabs her skirt and they explain how they travel as like if there was a small insect uh, crawling from one point of the of the skirt to the other one it would take a really long time to get to get there but if they fold the skirt over so that the two the destination and the uh you know where the bug is starting uh folds over to the same point then that basically doesn't have to travel at all so they're pretty much literally folding space time to to tesser now at this point uh the mrs what's it and mrs who change into some other kind of creature and it's it's something like a something like a centaur i guess like a winged centaur yeah like a winged centaur and it's supposedly like just extremely beautiful and I don't know. It gives them the, them this feeling that they're just like. And then she said, "No, though, it's not like a Greek centaur, not in the least. It sure sounds like a fucking centaur. It sounds exactly <laughs> like a centaur. Yeah, yeah. A marble white body with powerful flanks, something like a horse, but at the same time completely unlike a horse. For from the magnificently modeled back sprang a nobly formed torso." arms and head resembling a man's, but a man with a perfection of dignity and virtue, an exaltation of joy. Not like a Greek centaur, not in the least. But from the, sol- <laughs> uh, from the shoulders, slowly a pair of wings unfolded, wings made of rainbows, of light upon water, of poetry. So, which shoulders? Hmm. Like the horse shoulders? See, that's, that's the, now you're asking the real question, like the man's right, because shoulders I mean, like, or the horse shoulders. Yeah, because if it's out of the man's shoulders, it seems like it'd have a hard time flying. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Be, or if it were flying, its body would be like hanging way down underneath it, like uh, <laughs> trying to drag Listen. around this horse body. <laughs> this LSD trip isn't that specific. Yeah. <laughs> So Mrs. Witch tells them to carry the children. So they all jump on 
on both of them or just one of them? No, just one of them. All three kids jump on one of them. So the, the wings have to be on the shoulders of the horse because, I mean, now they'd be hanging on to two kids at these kids. Maybe the reason it's not like a horse is because it has like human hands for feet. <laughs> <laughs> so it can hold on. I, don't know. I, I would imagine that that is like where the uh, the center of like the creature's center of gravity would be. Right. So yeah, they would have to unfold from that point where like the human-ish part reaches the horse-ish, horse-ish, horse-ish part. The horse-ish part. The winged horse. But yeah, um, I don't think that this is like the, the Mrs. W's true form. I think it's... Uh, like the form of the creatures on Uriel, because there are more of these creatures. Right. They're all they're all kind of singing Christian hymns out in the background, which is weird. Yeah, like I don't know <laughs> why. Why? <laughs> <laughs> like I I was thinking that this might be kind of the idea of like what angels are. Ah, maybe. And and the planet Uriel is like mistaken for heaven. Maybe. Maybe maybe you know like human human body onto a horse body with human hands for feet. Yeah. Yeah, there are crazy but, creatures in the Bible too. So. Because right. <laughs> yeah, what I've remembered from the Bible, like it never describes angels as like humans with human figures with wings. Oh no, they're super and, monstrous, like fucked up beings. <laughs> so maybe sort of like this, like centaurs with wings of poetry now come on that doesn't work to get the kids believing in christ <laughs> my guardian angel is like a, a dragon with <laughs> <laughs> a dragon with penises coming out of its back <laughs> it's this teeth. whole part is pretty uh heavy like christian based uh when they changed the first time they changed kelvin fell to his knees no not to me kelvin never to me stand up Oh yeah, Calvin like starts to like worship Mrs. Yeah. What's it? And she's she like, transforms. no, not me. Don't worship me. Worship God. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they do basically tell us what they are later on. Uh, they tell us what they actually, what their true form is, their original form at some point. So yeah, this is. The, it seems like it's more like the same reason that they became humans when they were on Earth. They become these creatures because these creatures are flying around Uriel. So they, they fly the kids up. They're flying around. They're looking at fertile fields and all kinds of cool, cool stuff that's around. Mountains uh, that are so tall you can't see where they end. There's a garden. There's a crystal river. And then they're singing. They're singing this amazing, beautiful song. But, but they can't, can't translate it into their is. words. Yeah. I think the song is Blue Rock Candy Mountain. Have you guys, are <laughs> I guess, familiar with the song Blue Rock Candy Mountain? I, I'm not. I'm not. Or a big, big rock, big rock candy mountain. It's basically nope. a song about a, a hobo's paradise where there's like a lake of stew and a lake and of whiskey too. You can paddle all around it in a big canoe in the big rock oh, nice. candy mountain. <laughs> in the big rock candy mountain, all the cops have wooden legs <laughs> and the hens lay soft boiled eggs. Well, if it's so perfect, why are there police? <laughs> And the jails are made of tin and you can walk right out again as soon as you are in. Yeah, that makes no sense. <laughs> but life is easy in the in the Big Rock Candy Mountain. The song sounds fictitious. So we find out that this is basically a break that they're taking on this planet. Because Mrs. What's-It is the youngest of the three. But her one of her strengths is this ability to test her and, and take people with them. And so that's why they brought her. Because it takes an extreme amount of 
energy to be able to to do this. So she's the one that's creating the wormholes, is what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, they give her age somewhere around here. Okay, so here we go. This is where the this is where we get something about what their song is. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise from the end of the earth, ye that go down to the sea and all that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof. Let the wilderness and the cities there thereof lift their voice. Let the inhabitants of the rock sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory unto the Lord. I feel like all that stuff is just written to make people confused. And then they sit there and they nod their heads. They're like, oh, yeah, I totally understand. <laughs> and they're like, I, does everybody believe me? Does everybody believe me? I believe what you believe. <laughs> I just about threw up my mouth a little bit right there. Right. I think I did when I was reading this. <laughs> but Meg feels a pulse of joy. Ooh, of course. She probably saw one of them centaur dicks. <laughs> And then Kelvin's hand reaches out. Joy was flowing between Kelvin and Meg. And so that that's that kind of gives me the impression that this is like a heaven type place where everything is beautiful and the creatures are beautiful and the songs, they are beautiful and there's joy everywhere and it is beautiful. Because it's heaven. This is heaven. So they pick these flowers. They're flying through. They they know that they want to enjoy this area, but they, they fly over and they pick up some flowers. They're told to each take one. And then they start flying up, going way up into the sky. And now, this is why they, they, uh, the Mrs. W's brought them here. They wanted to show. Yeah. They wanted to show them what's uh, what's happening here on Uriel. Yeah, what the problem is. And uh, as they get up there, I believe they they use these flowers to breathe, don't they? Yeah, use yeah. the flowers now. They get the flied atmosphere. up to the top of a mountain. Yep, where they're unable to breathe, but the flowers somehow uh, make them able to breathe. They supply oxygen. Right, they're flowers. They supply an immediate uh, amount of oxygen that humans need to breathe. Sure, but enough to <laughs> like when they're yeah, picked. No. To breathe at the top of a mountain? Yeah, dude. Anytime (laughs) I'm going to the top of a mountain, I just take some flowers with me. I mean, that's I I never understand why people are passing out on Mount Everest. Like, where are your flowers? (laughs) You go and you go scuba diving. You just uh, stick a few of these flowers in a tank, and is that is that how they get oxygen tanks? They just uh, yeah, dude. Yeah, they just plant (laughs) plant some plants in there, and that's how they flowers in the air. (laughs) Little canister. Nice. Yep. Yep. You breathe your carbon dioxide works. in, and there's a light in there too. I mean, there's got to be a light, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, for photosynthesis. Yes. Yeah. So they get to the top of the of the mountain, and Mrs. What's it rests on a small rock, and they see this amazing sight: this beautiful great white disc, and it's one of the moons. And Meg thinks it's just gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. They want to watch the moon set, but uh, that's not what they're here to see. Nope. They are needing the kids to see something that will be difficult for them to understand, but they need to know about it. And they they start seeing some kind of shadow out that seems to be almost surrounding the planet. Kind of like a cloud, but not quite. There is a dark shadow on the horizon. It starts covering up stars. They can't see the stars through it. While she's looking at it, Meg's hand kind of drops a little bit and she uh, starts gasping for air. Then her head droops and falls back into the flowers that she's still holding and brings her back. But uh, she looks and the shadow is still there, dark and dreadful. And Calvin holds her hand for reassurance. 
and somehow they they know it's evil. They're for somehow like, oh, it's obviously evil. <laughs> Meg does ask if that dark thing that they saw is what her father is fighting, because she obviously assumes her father's fighting something. Now, for what I saw, her father wasn't fighting nothing. But Mrs. Witch confirms that yes, that is what they're fighting. That is what he's fighting. Kelvin, Kelvin's trying to help Meg, and she's all sobbing. She just can't take it. Mrs. Witch tells him that he is behind the darkness so that even we cannot see him. But they are about ready to leave. He, the fa- They said, your father needs help. So they're going to leave. But before they leave, they get explained what they're actually doing so that it won't freak out Meg so much. Yeah, that's yeah. this is where they explain the, the tessering. Yeah. And, it's, and it's, how they fold. Yeah, it's basically uh, describing a wormhole is what they're doing. Yep. Yep. They described the Tesseract as being the fifth dimension, their uh, their method of traveling through the fifth dimension. And to uh, under- to help Meg understand what it is, they start with the each dimension. What's the first dimension? Well, it's a line. And the second dimension would be a square, a flat square. And the third, well, you square the square and you have a cube. And then the fourth brings in, uh, like, Einstein and time is how she describes it. Like, theories about, uh, like, Einstein's theories about uh, the fourth dimension and whatnot. So the fourth dimension would be time. And then the fifth dimension is squaring time. And that's a tesseract. Simple, right? Yeah. No, that's exactly, I think you got it exactly right. Yep. A A on the course. Yep. And that's it. That's Wrinkle in Time, guys. <laughs> that is the Wrinkle in Time. <laughs> I was going to say, I actually saw a video this week uh, of of someone trying to explain a Tesseract and, and explain the, the fourth dimension. And um, basically, they explained that we, we can't see the fourth dimension. But he also showed, he's like, so this is a cube and you can see the shadow of a cube. And he's like, and this here, and he brings out this, basically it was a cube inside of a larger cube with all the corners connecting. He said, this is the shadow of what the, uh, you know, the expansion of a cube into the fourth dimension would look like. And I was like, that is super awesome because I was able to finally visualize what it might look like. I just thought it was really funny that that came up out of nowhere this week on TikTok. So I was like, oh, hmm. that's super awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can post it in the subreddit. If I can find it, I should be able right. to find it. Good it, luck it was finding from, something. It was, an old, it was an old video, so I should be able to find it on YouTube and link it on Reddit. Yeah. Okay. So they are going to travel again, and the the ladies tell them that the way they do it is they go first, and then they bring the kids behind them in the backwash, as they call it. And when they watch Mrs. Witch disappear, first she disappears, then her glasses. And Meg has the thought of, I wonder if that's what happens to me. Do I disappear first and then my glasses follow? Now, they were holding hands, and uh, Kelvin and Meg were holding hands, and once they left, they they couldn't feel each other anymore. Before they travel, Meg asks if they could hold hands, and Mrs. Wetzer replies, You can try, though I'm not sure how it will work. You see, though we travel together, we travel alone. Now, this is where they get to the two-dimensional world, and Meg can't breathe. She wants to breathe, but her her lungs can't fill. Um, and it explains that she tries to gasp but a paper doll can't gasp. She couldn't think because her mind was flat and unable to function. Her heart couldn't beat. It just gave a knife-like sideways movement. And then she heard a voice that 
or at least words uh, come through that were, oh, no, we can't stop here. This is a two-dimensional planet, and the children can't manage here. And then she was whizzed into nothingness again. Somehow the words were also were flattened out like printed words on paper. Like right. It's, there are descriptions here in the in the book that you can't really visualize these descriptions, but they kind of describe more feelings of of what's happening than actual, you know, what what is being seen or heard, right? Or whatever, like wings of, made of poetry. Like what what does that even look like? Uh, words spoken in a two dimensional realm, the and the words being flat like printed words on paper. But not like describing them as like visible, like actually seeing them, but the words being flat. It's it's very complex thinking <laughs> here. It's not straightforward and yet it's very uh yeah, I don't know, it's it's different. But not a bad different. I kinda like it. And when they get to where they are going, the ladies are actually kind of giggling about what happened and Charles Wallace is indignant about it because, you know, I'm sure <laughs> um, it was painful to be flat. That's going to be terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> you don't know yeah. what's happening and all of a sudden you're flat, your lungs can't inflate, your blood doesn't go through your veins, you can't think. Yeah, and, and they, they, they say that- Three assholes are laughing at you. <laughs> right. <laughs> you get out of it. But they actually enjoy the the flat planet, the 2D planet, the, the ladies do. They think it's fun to be flat. <laughs> it doesn't affect them like it does right. people. Immortal beings are jerks. Now, at this point, they're in Orion's Belt, which, you know, I mean, Orion's Belt is not just the three stars that we see. There is so much more going on that we can't necessarily <laughs> see with our naked eye. But, you know, for the purposes of the book, it's just three stars and it's it's an actual place. <laughs> right. <laughs> three stars that are nowhere even near each other. They just appear in a, in a row from Earth. But they're, they're right. not even close to each other. No, no, they're at varying distances. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like a place, Orion's Belt, which is another abstract uh, idea delivered here. Right. Now, now they are here because they have some friends. And they explain at this point that they aren't going to, you know, they're worried because they're like, you know, it was bedtime. Mom's going to be worried about us. It's going to be crazy. And they're like, no, 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 no. We made a little wrinkle in time. So... You will show up about five minutes before you left when we send you back. So they're playing by Doctor Who rules. Right. Got it. <laughs> or Doctor Who's playing by Wrinkle in Time rules. Hmm. I mean, there's a Doctor Who and a Mrs. Who. Hmm. When did the first have... Doctor Who come out? 1962? And when did Wrinkle in Time? This is uh, 19... I mean, Wrinkle in Time was published in 1962. Hmm. Um, Let me look it up. First Doctor Who. 1963. Ooh. Ah. So Doctor Who Doctor plays by Who Wrinkle began. in Time rules. Mm. <laughs> Are these was... ladies Time Lords? <laughs> it's quite possible. Ooh. I know a lot of science fiction in the uh, in the time period shared did share a lot of ideas. That makes sense. Now they are here to speak with the happy medium, and we find out how old the ladies are. Uh, Mrs. What's it explains that she is two billion three hundred seventy nine million one hundred fifty two thousand four hundred ninety seven years eight months and three days old. But that's according to the our calendar, and it's not very accurate. <laughs> and she's the young one. Yeah, and she's the young one. She's the youngest. And they brought her along because she's good at talking. And Tessery. That's why she was chosen for this mission. And they actually, they because Mrs. Witch is the oldest, 
they were not laughing about the kids getting on the 2D planet, but the fact that Mrs. Witch, who is the oldest, accidentally landed them on the 2D planet. Yeah, so they were laughing at Mrs. Witch's mistake. Not at at Meg. Never at Meg. Which probably wouldn't make me feel that much better. Now, the happy medium is actually, you know, a human-looking lady, because every creature in the universe is a human. Every creature of importance. And she also has a crystal ball, guys. A crystal ball to look into. So mysterious and magical. (laughs) It's glorifying magic use. Hedons. I mean, heathens. (laughs) (laughs) Possibly hedonistic, but also heathens. She, uh, She doesn't like to look at unpleasant things, though. Like, they ask her to look at some unpleasant things, and she's like, Ah, I want to look at pleasant things, damn it. Why do you want me to look at Earth? I don't like looking at that place. Gross. Earth. (laughs) Do you know what they do there? They masturbate constantly. Constantly. (laughs) Mrs. Uh, The Happy Medium accidentally shows them Mars first, though, because she doesn't really want to look at Earth. Because Earth has this shadow around it. Now, it's not as bad as it was on Uriel, but it's becoming a problem. I mean, we were supposed to stop this pollution how long ago? We never did. Right? So that's why it's going to it's gonna keep getting bad. Now, this is where they kind of explain, too, that there's certain people throughout history that have been the light that we see by, uh, like Da Vinci, Michelangelo, Shakespeare, um, Bach, Pasteur, and they're going through all of them. They mention Jesus in their Buddha, uh, Rembrandt, like these, these people were, were great people and line of great people that keep the darkness away. And they keep the darkness away through art and music and science. Through creativity, through creativity. Creativity. Yeah. Yeah. And spirituality. Now, they want to see their father. So the happy medium is really not happy about this because they have to go to a planet. They have to look at a planet that was terribly, terribly covered by the darkness. And to show them what they want to show, they show a star that is getting beaten by the the, the thing, the black thing. Um, the star wins... But it had to lose its life while it was winning. And this is where we find out that Mrs. What's It, Mrs. Witch, and Mrs. Who were stars. They were actually a star before turning into these corporate, uh, these spiritual beings. I'm trying to figure out what purpose they came to the, the medium for. Just to kind of give them an insight as to what's going on. More insight. They wanted to show them that Earth was in danger. They wanted to show them what this thing was capable of by destroying the star. And they wanted to show them their father so that they knew there was a goal to to complete. So through the crystal ball of the the happy medium, they kind of they see the stakes. Yeah. And they, they show them like their family and stuff to make them feel better. Like, hey, see, everybody's fine. They don't actually see their father right at this point. I can't remember if they see their father or not. I'm trying to look really quick. No, no, they don't actually see. They couldn't see the father because he was. Oh, he's so far behind the uh, the darkness. Yeah, he was in planet, on a planet that was shrouded by the darkness. And they're heading to a planet now that is clearly not a, um, was not created just to be a uh, copyright safe name. This planet is called Kamazots. Kamazots. 
and King Barthor and his knight King Dancelot are there. <laughs> King Dancelot. <laughs> Turns out it's only a model, but that's a Monty Python reference. I forget that you don't do Monty Python. <laughs> Not much of it. That's two this episode. <laughs> Only a little bit of uh, Monty Python. They tell uh, Meg to stay angry because she's going to need her anger when she gets there. They look in on uh, on their mother uh, sitting and writing her regular notes to their father and, uh, and crying. And that makes them mad. Because they know that he'll never get the letter. And if they don't save their dad, then she's going to move on and marry some chump of a stepfather and can't have that. No. No, you can't. Because she's too pretty to stay single. <laughs> Remember, she's hot. She's so hot. She's hot. She's going to get swept up right away if they don't save their dad. That's oh, the real darkness. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> they, want, they want their dad to be back with their mom. They don't want some loser stepfather. So when they get to Kamazots, they notice that it could easily be some place on Earth. It's... It looks really normal to them. It has birches, pines, maples. I mean, everything looks fine. The town looks normal that they can see, but the W's can't stay here. They have to leave because this this planet is covered by the darkness and they can't stay there very long. It's too much for their omnipotent little selves. But they do give them warning. They, they especially say, Charles Wallace, the danger here is greatest for you. Why? Because of what you are. Just exactly because of what you are, you will be by the far the most vulnerable. You must stay with Megan Kelvin. You must not go off on your own. Beware of pride and arrogance, Charles, for they may betray you. They are sins, and they will stop you from going to heaven. <laughs> I know you guys hate Lord of the Rings, but this is a very uh, um, Galadriel and the Fellowship and uh, telling them all wisdom, like individually, going one by one and giving them their little hints on what to do going forward. It's also kind of very Wizard of Oz. I don't think that Mrs. Witch has anything in her bag for me, <laughs> says, uh, says Meg. <laughs> well, they gave her her faults. They gave her her faults. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, thanks. They do end up giving her Mrs. Who's glasses as well, which they say not to use until she absolutely has to. Um, they give Kelvin a hint, which was, for that he was a spirit too delicate to act their earthly and abhorred com commands. Refusing their grand hests, they did confine him by help of their most potent ministers and in their most unmitigable, unmitigable rage. Into a cloven pine within which rift, imprisoned, he didst painfully remain. Yeah, that's not a very good hint. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about? Like, these people are crazy. <laughs> but it is a quote from Shakespeare, The Tempest. It would be completely out of context and make no sense to me at that moment, though. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, to boil it down, they took something and they put it in a tree, like Sam Gribbley, <laughs> only trapped in the tree. Right. Unlike Sam Gribbley, they're about to fuck some shit up. <laughs> <laughs> so they get warned not to get separated. Like Josh was saying earlier, they get warned, like, you got to be strong. Don't let them separate you. Mm -hmm. But you got to go down into the town. Beware so, of pride and arrogance, Charles. Yep. Telling this five-year-old kid not to get too too proud of himself. Right. So they all take off on a little hike down into the town. 
And this town is kind of weird. Well, everything's the same. It's everything. all the same, and everything is in sync. The kids are about that are bouncing balls are bouncing balls exactly at the same time as each other. The kids that are jumping rope are jumping rope at exactly the same time as each other. Everything about the houses was was the same. And then suddenly all the doors opened up and all the moms popped out at the same time. They had different prints on their dresses, but they all had the same appearance, like really close to each other. At least they were allowed that uh, personalization option. Right. And then they each clapped and all the kids caught their balls and stopped the skipping ropes and ran right back inside the houses and just... The doors all shut and they were all kind of like, you know, except for one, except for one. Yeah, except for one kid dropped his ball. Wasn't it? And he had to chase it. Well, Mm -hmm. they said then all at once, they all saw the same thing. Stopped to watch in front of one of the houses stood a little boy with a ball. He was bouncing it, but he bounced it rather badly and with no particular rhythm, sometimes dropping it and running after it with awkward furtive leaps. Sometimes throwing it up in the air, trying to catch it. The door of his house opened and out ran one of the mother figures. She looked wildly up and down the street, saw the children, put her hand in the mouth as though to stifle a scream, grabbed the little boy and rushed in the doors with him. The ball dropped from his fingers and rolled out into the street. So this kid is not like all the other kids. No, not exactly. And that makes the mom terrified. And she's also afraid that uh, Charles, Meg, and Kelvin are going to be snitches because they come up and they want to ask ask for some help and they're like hey this is the ball he dropped and they're like no get the hell out of here it's not paper time yet what are you talking about he didn't drop a ball we're perfect you know what you're talking about (laughs) get out of here the children in our section never drop balls (laughs) we haven't had an aberration for three years yep Ooh, they have to show papers they don't have any papers yeah so they get pushed out and so they venture into the into the town this is a very 1950s Red Scare. Oh my God, the future is a totalitarian. Everything is the same. Nightmare scape. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> it fits. Very Orwellian, yeah. They see a kid that's about Kelvin's age riding a combination bicycle motorcycle, which I'm thinking is just like a motorized bicycle. Mm-hmm. But eventually they reach the central intelligence. No, central, central intelligence. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. They're asking questions while they're there, and there's a guy there that doesn't like that they're asking questions because questions aren't good. Questions aren't part of the plan. And he basically wants like them to show some papers or something, or he's going to turn them in. Meg is all worried about finding father. That's all she cares about. We got to find father. We got to find father. It's like, well, let's slow down and think <laughs> about what's going on here. But Kelvin has a feeling. Ooh, he's got one of his feelings. But not the same kind. He's got a he's got a different one, a feeling that if we go into that building, we're going into terrible danger. But they knew they were going into danger. Yeah. Mrs. Wesson told us that. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got a bad feeling about this. And when they get in there, there's a guy telling them how to get in. He's like, you just got to put your S papers in the B slot. And, you know, I mean, if I had, if I could count on one hand, how many times I've had to tell people to put S papers in the B slot, I I wouldn't be able to do it in one hand because it would take, it would take 10 hands. I don't know why people don't realize you just put the S papers in the B slot. It's just like the three seashells. Everybody knows how to use the three (laughs) seashells. It's easy. Yep. Dude, have you ever put it in the B slot? Uh, uh. 
these these things that they have. Uh, this guy that they run into ran a number one spelling machine on the second grade level, and he's here to report that his one of his letters is jamming, and he can't do anything until it's properly oiled by an F grade oiler. <laughs> Big time bureaucracy complications. It kind of reminds here. me. It kind of reminds me of Hermes in. Uh, Futurama, <laughs> right? This kid doesn't really want to report them, but he's like, "I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to report you because I don't want to get in trouble." And then Charles suggests that maybe it's a good idea so they can get led to whoever's in charge here. Right? They want to get moving now. That he takes out some cards, like they're different multicolored cards, and he puts it up against the wall, which seems to be marble, and it just kind of slides into the wall, and then the wall almost dematerializes and opens up into the another room for them to go in and when they walked in there's all these like enormous machines and they describe them as not being unlike the great computing machines that meg had seen in science books oh man because at com- this time those computing machines oh yeah you heard, have you heard of these things they're called computing machines yep they're all they're <laughs> in all the science books <laughs> One machine, there was long tape being eaten, and another, a series of dot dashes were being punched. Several several white-robed attendants were moving about, tending to the machines. Oh, man. It's the future. The future. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy to see the uh, the future according to the 1950s. Yeah, technology was so crazy. <laughs> the way the as computers we, worked back then. Right. <laughs> as we literally record our voices on three separate computers over the internet while talking to each other and reading books. Well, I'm reading a book <laughs> off of a tablet. <laughs> right. And one of us is a thousand or so miles away, maybe 2,000 yep. miles away. <laughs> yes, I'm quite far from both of you. Physically. You're quite far. Could you imagine doing all this with ticker tape back and forth? <laughs> <laughs> We'd have to have some sort of uh, radio waves. <laughs> so Charles Wallace says he can basically feel something. He's Something's trying to get him at this point. And he doesn't know exactly what it is, but he's telling them to hold tight onto him because he's afraid that it's going to try and get him. So what they run into is a man that's basically sitting in a chair and he starts talking to them and his voice is really calm and soothing and gentle. But they also notice that he hasn't opened his mouth, so he's basically speaking into their minds. Kind of like you are with your kind and gentle and soothing voice. What's interesting is I'm not opening my mouth. That is interesting. Yeah. No. (laughs) It's all coming from my mind. Ooh. So they notice this guy's eyes have like a reddish glow to them. They're kind of like pulsing and throbbing. Charles Wallace tells them to close their eyes. He closes his and tells the other two to close their eyes because this guy's trying to hypnotize them. And the thing confirms it by saying, clever, aren't you? But he also says that he doesn't need them to have their eyes open to hypnotize them. Charles tells him that if uh, if they do, if he does try to hypnotize them, he's going to go kick him, which is unlike Charles. And Meg has never heard Charles suggesting violence before. So you know this guy's bad news. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, they go back and forth arguing, basically, where Charles is trying to, like, think of other things. And he's telling them to, you know, sing Mary Had a Little Lamb. And... Uh, he's going over the multiplication tables with the multiplication tables. Yep. Yep. And he's basically just trying to knock in a bunch of different ways to throw this guy out. 
Yeah, uh, and so so Kelvin starts. He says four score and seven years ago. Uh, Meg just starts screaming for her father, and then the red eyed man laughs at them and says that they have passed their preliminary tests with flying colors. It was a test to see how resilient their minds could be against his uh, indoctrination. And yet he tries to. This is where he tries starting to manipulate them. Meg, he knows that Meg wants her father, but he points out like, oh, I guess he hasn't been much of a father lately though has he he abandoned you and your mother and he's been gone for four years so this is where we find out he's been gone for four years ah okay oh no to go gallivanting on wild adventures of his four own. little children yeah he didn't say four years <laughs> i mean it, it must have been about four years because charles yeah. wallace is five and he left when he was a baby so it does make sense it makes sense but yeah the four comes from the number of children he left behind <laughs> So the guy with red eyes is basically just playing mind games with them, trying to get them to basically loot, um, bring down their guard, making it so that he can actually do something to them. Right. And he's like playing them for fools. Like he's basically goading Charles because he really wants Charles. That's who he wants most. And Charles kind of falls for it and decides that he's going to attempt to read this guy's mind. But it's almost it's too much for him. He's not ready for that. <laughs> Charles Wallace actually darts forward and punches the man as hard as he can. <laughs> <laughs> Once he starts getting grabbed by the guy, Charles actually ends up or uh, Mega ends up tackling Charles to try and knock him away. And it works for a moment where at this point he the man, the man with the red eyes warns Meg that he's not too happy about that. And he might lose his patience with her, which would not be good for her father. Which is his definite way of getting to Meg. He tells her, if you have the slightest desire to see your father again, you had better cooperate. And then he offers to feed them. Well, and the first Meg, that- Meg complains. She's, she said, where was that? It might help if you gave us something to eat. We're all starved. If you're going to be horrible to us, you might as well give us a full stomachs first. And the food is right. basically like a, it's not food. It He makes it taste like food to them by projecting it into their minds. But it's, from what I gathered, it's almost like a paste. It's what they eat on um, in the Matrix when they're not in the Matrix. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I can see a lot of uh, <clears throat> inspiration that the Matrix may have taken from stories like this. Maybe in particular, maybe other types of sci- sci-fi stories. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of... Um, a lot of elements in in this bleak, uh, everyone's the same, everyone's under control type thing. Right. Now, everybody can, well, Meg and Kelvin can smell the food, but Charles Wallace can't. And the guy kind of basically says, well, yeah, you can't. You just got to give in. Otherwise, you won't be able to. Because Charles Wallace is better able to fight the mind control than Meg and Kelvin. Right. He has this innate resistance to... Uh, to this kind of persuasion. Yeah. So while uh, Meg and Calvin can kind of taste uh, the flavor of the of the dinner, um, all Charles Wallace can taste is sand. Now, Charles has <clears throat> decided that he thinks he can, this is that pride and arrogance, he thinks he can go further in and get a better read on this thing while still keeping part of him out and he tells them that they can't they can't stop him because he needs to and there's that pride yep and he says he wants to do it for father 
which is, you know, how he's kind of going to get Megda to follow along with him. And that's when it happens. Yep. They lose him. They lose him. To the man with the red eyes. They lose him to the max. The last line of the chapter is very, very telling. Meg grabbed wildly at Kelvin shrieking. That isn't Charles. Charles is gone. Oh, wait, no. It was more, that isn't Charles. Charles is gone. <laughs> well, there Basically, are exclamation marks. <laughs> there are exclamation marks. So she, she goes on to describe for like four pages about how Charles is, still looks like Charles, but isn't Charles. Yeah, this yeah. this is the part where I can see we, what you guys are saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I, in the part where I listen to it on the audiobook, it really belabors the point that this isn't Charles talking. It's basically an entire chapter, right? <laughs> describing how Charles Wallace is not Charles Wallace. Yeah, we get it. Cool. And they're kind of pleading and uh, coaxing with Charles Wallace to snap out of it, but Charles Wallace or whoever's talking through Charles Wallace now. Keeps re- uh, responding with uh, entreaties to uh, to give in and join me. It's ever so pleasant here. It'll be so One much better if us. you just give One in. No, you're not you, Charles. <laughs> yes, I am. Come on. No. Yes. No. Yes. And then at the end, of, we get to who Meg has wanted all along. She sees a man in a transparent, co- in a large round transparent column, and inside the column, this column was a man. Father. Well, she sudden, she suddenly sees this. How do we get? How do we get here? Well, dude, because the rest of this whole chapter is them still arguing <laughs> as to whether or not Charles yeah. Wallace is I just Charles it. Wallace or not. It literally yeah. is the whole thing. Yeah. Now, now there is a point where they there is a point where they mention like um the the guy with the red eyes they're like oh can you take us to father and he says no he can't leave so Charles Wallace will take him and they also explain that it's not that they're hypnotized that is a primitive way of putting it but they don't ever explain what the you know sophisticated way is because we're all dummies that can't possibly understand or Madeline Lingle didn't know how to describe it because she was just pulling it out of her ass. <laughs> She just treated the reader like Meg. Don't you worry, your pretty little head. It's fine. You'll understand. (laughs) I mean, there's some exposition weaved in all of this. They talk about it, capital I, capital T. uh, uh, Charles Wallace wants to take them to it. And he describes it as the boss. Sometimes calls itself the happiest uh, it, I always pronounce it sadist, but I guess they pronounce it saddest here because they, they specifically they do it as a, do it as a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they do it as a joke. Like it's the happiest sadist, but they say it as saddest. Mm-hmm. Charles Wallace says that's S A D I S T, not S A D D E S T. You know, said Charles Wallace and giggled again. Lots of people don't pronounce it correctly. Now I have to look up what how it's officially pronounced. Yeah, I wonder if you would say sadist for a sadist because it's like sadism, right? Or is it sadism? Sadism very well could be sadism. That would be a real sadism. To find out, I've been pronouncing it incorrectly. Everyone has been pronouncing it incorrectly, apparently. <laughs> Because I've never heard it the other way. Sadist. Sadist. <laughs> Sadist. Hmm? Sadist. I think they're just wrong in the book here. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, yep. it's it's sadist. Trust me on that one. Yeah, <laughs> Charles Wallace is a dummy. Stuff. 
So uh, Meg goes to try and get to her dad and runs right into a transparent wall. He can't hear her or see her out there. He has a beard. It's also shot with gray because he's old now. Mine too. I get mm-hmm. it. <laughs> okay. Cal- uh, Charles Wallace actually brought them to the uh, the column. Yes. And where on they they passed the uh, the boy who was bouncing the ball poorly earlier too, and he was uh, being tortured. But of course, little bastard! <laughs> How dare you be different? Stop. Yeah, that'll that'll teach you to deviate from the norm. Bounce your ball correctly, you little fucker! <laughs> Accept it as your personal lord and savior. Oh, Andy, it wasn't Charles Wallace. They explained that. It wasn't Charles Wallace. Oh, yeah. Oh, right, because it wasn't Charles Wallace. It wasn't Charles Wallace. (laughs) But it looked like Charles Wallace. But it wasn't. It was still (laughs) Charles Wallace, but it wasn't Charles Wallace. Meg tries to... So you're saying... (laughs) (laughs) So what you're saying... Now we come on. We purposefully skip past all that. <laughs> <laughs> there must yeah, be there joke. must be Great. some there must be some little bit of Charles Wallace in there, right? <laughs> so Meg tries to tackle Charles Wallace again. Well, not Charles Wallace again. And uh, before she can get to him, he punches her in the stomach. Which you know, I mean. Ugh. I don't understand this, because if a little five-year-old punched me in the stomach, it ain't going to do shit. Like, I'm tackling that five-year-old, whether it tries to punch me or not. I'm not saying I'm not saying you should tackle a five-year-old. I'm just saying that a five-year-old couldn't stop me, <laughs> even at like 12 or 13, you know. So not Charles Wallace suggests that they should become zombies as well in order to save their dad. And that just ain't going to work for Meg or Kelvin. Oh, this was written at a time before zombies were undead. So this was mm-hmm. literally talking about the voodoo style zombie. That's awesome. I just realized that. I'm sorry. I just thought that was a cool note. Just like mind <laughs> controlled people. Yeah. And Calvin's kind of putting two and two together about his his clue from the Tempest. And he, I believe he sees Charles Wallace as the uh, the delicate spirit trapped, uh, confined in a cloven pine. And they continue pleading with Charles to come back to them. So they re- reignite the whole, <laughs> the back and forth. <laughs> yeah, man, this is what this is literally like the yeah. part that I'm talking about where they're just like, but is it Charles? No, it's not Charles. Yes, it is Charles. It's a little Charles. It's not Charles at all, but it is Charles. Is it Charles? It's not Charles. It can't be Charles. Charles, are you there? Charles, Charles, no, Charles. <laughs> like, good God. Charles, Charles. She got to this point of the book, it was like part halfway through and she had writer's block. She's like, yeah, I'm just going to make him argue about whether Charles is Charles for the next two chapters. Yeah, maybe if they plead with Charles again. And then Meg gets the idea that uh, maybe father is the, the cloven pine or the uh, the one in prison in a cloven pine. Yep. And she gets the idea to use Mrs. Who's spectacles because her hint was to save them for like the, the last moment of desperation, the last resort. So she puts them on and Charles Wallace or not Charles Wallace <laughs> starts freaking out. Yeah. Charles, not Charles is trying to get to her before she can do what she's going to do. And she walks right through the pillar into into her father's prison. And wouldn't you know it, Charles Wallace can't get in. Nope. So she's allowed this uh, this moment of finding her father. This was the moment for which she had been waiting, not only since Miss Switch whisked them off on their journey, but during the long months and years before, when the letters had stopped coming, when people made remarks about Charles Wallace, 
when Mrs. Murray showed a rare flash of loneliness or grief. This was the moment that meant now and forever everything would be all right. You're still in a column. <laughs> yeah. No pressure on this dude to uh, to make everything okay again. Yeah. <laughs> right. And her dad is immediately like, you know, like, where's everybody else? And then they, <laughs> she realizes that her dad can't see. Like, she can see perfectly, but her dad can't see. And so she takes the glasses off and notices that she's in complete darkness. And then she gives them to her dad and he puts them on and he can see. Was blind, but now I see. Yep. It just took some glasses from a weird witchy lady, but I'm Christian. (laughs) But he's also a super nerd. Because when he puts them on, scientist. he says, how extraordinary. I could almost see the atoms rearranging. Nerd. <laughs> Nerd. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, atoms. They were crazy about atoms in 50s uh, sci-fi. Oh, yeah. So uh, they end up using these glasses. Like, they can, they can walk back through them. He grabs onto Meg, and he uses it to walk her back through. And she explains that it has Charles Wallace. And that's not Charles Wallace. It just looks like Charles Wallace. It looks like Charles Wallace, but it's not Charles Wallace. It Let's like break this down. <laughs> Over the next three or four pages, she explains what? to what her dad. What do you dad, mean? <laughs> it's actually a couple paragraphs. Calm down. <laughs> nope. Far, like two pages later. Father, it's it talking through Charles. It isn't Charles. He's he's bewitched. Yeah, we know. You've explained it a few times. <laughs> I wish they'd really clear up this Charles Wallace, not Charles Wallace thing. I want to know if that is Charles Wallace, personally. But what has him? Something has him. What has him? It. What has him? You know, it always makes me wonder if Stephen (laughs) King read this book and he's like, I can make a better it than that. (laughs) (laughs) My it also will come from space, but be way scarier. I like how they're like having this having this uh, conversation and like it slash Charles Wallace just sitting there and while while uh, they're introducing uh, dad to uh, to Calvin and explaining over and over again how it has Charles Wallace. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and they they also at this point mentioned how Meg wouldn't be able to handle it like she he, he could she couldn't possibly hold out like everybody else can. So again, Meg is like, you know, weak sauce among everybody else. So they talk a little bit about, they talk for a little while about it and Charles Wallace trying to get them to, to come and uh, meet it. And yeah, they, they definitely keep telling us how Charles Wallace was not Charles Wallace. (laughs) (laughs) They are still going on about it. They are going on and on. (laughs) But eventually, eventually they get to where it was. Oh yeah, they do allow Charles Wallace to lead them to it. And that's when we find out that it was Krang. (laughs) And the Ninja Turtles show up and help fight. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and they beat that that brain back to Dimension X. (laughs) Better movie. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, it was a brain. A disembodied brain. An oversized brain. Just enough larger than normal to be completely revolting and terrifying. A living brain. A brain that pulsed and quivered, (laughs) that seized and commanded. No wonder the brain was called It. It was the most horrible, the most repellent thing she had ever seen. Far more nauseating than anything she had ever imagined with her conscious mind. Or that had ever tormented her in her most terrible nightmares. Well, of course. I mean, Meg's a girl. Brains are not for girls. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh no, it's a girl's worst nightmare. A big brain. A, a big brain. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, geez, way to way to look at it through an anti-feminist lens. Right. <laughs> man, the fifties were a wild time, man. They were. They were. <laughs> so it's a brain. And it immediately starts to try to uh, to do its indoctrination thing on uh, on the rest of them through its like its pulsing steady rhythm, it's kind of the same rhythm that uh, everything happens on in this planet, like the balls bouncing and the, the jump ropes jumping, and it's a big hypnotic rhythm. She tries a couple different things. Um, she tries reciting the Declaration of Independence, um, but then she realizes Charles Wallace is speaking. I mean. It wasn't Charles Wallace. The thing was speaking through him. Just in case you guys forgot. But surely there was some little bit of Charles Wallace in there. Nope, just it speaking through Charles Wallace. Still, oh, what? still it this. has Charles Wallace. It's <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. It's not Charles. Wallace. That's not it's Charles it. Wallace. It's it talking through Charles Wallace. Yes. Oh, it finally clears it up right here. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Meg is trying to shout everything from nursery rhymes. Uh, Calvin's uh, shouting the Gettysburg Address just to to break into break apart the the rhythm to keep from being uh, taken control. And when Meg uh, gets to the part about all men are created equal from the Declaration of Independence, um, it slash Charles Wallace uh, tries to use that logic against her, saying that's exactly what we have on Camazots: complete equality, everybody exactly alike. And that's when she says, no, like and equal are not the same thing at all. Yeah. And then her father uh, awards her like a puppy. Good girl, Meg. (laughs) 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 But that's her using her faults, her anger, her impatience, her stubbornness. Yo. Just argue with the thing. (laughs) No. But yeah, it is a good point. Like and equal are not the same thing. So they they come to a question now of if they destroy it, will that kill everybody attached to it? You know, because it says that if you if you destroy me, you kill Charles Wallace. Because I don't know if you guys knew this, but Charles Wallace is not Charles Wallace right now. What? He's not. No, he's he's being spoken through by it. Oh, but surely there must be some bit of Charles Wallace in there. Nope, nothing. He's oh, like a paper doll. Cruel fate. <laughs> Snap out of it, Charles Wallace. Her dad has her start uh, reciting the periodic table of elements. Mm-hmm. But it gets to be too rhythmical, so she yep. changes it up. Switch to math. Square root of five. 2.236. 2.236 times 2.236 equals five. <laughs> so then Kelvin says Tesser, sir, to uh, her father. And her father grabs her and, and Kelvin and... He tessers them away because apparently he has that power. Right. That is crazy. First of all, Calvin somehow knows that he he can test. Well, I mean, how to get there in the first place? I guess he tessered. Right. But to be able to do it on command, it's I I wouldn't uh, think that <laughs> I wouldn't assume that he could just do it at will. Yeah, I wouldn't either. So yeah, how well, to apparently Calvin when know? he does it, he's really bad at it. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. He's not the best, as it turns out. So when they tessered, the first thing that Meg noticed was that she was really cold when she was coming back from consciousness. She could hear her dad and she could hear Calvin and they think she they thought she was dead because they couldn't find a heartbeat. But her heart starts beating a little bit, but she's still not awake enough 
to talk to them. She even tries to call out, but they can't hear her. She can hear Calvin and Mr. Murray going back and forth about what happened on Camazot, whether it had Charles Wallace, <laughs> <laughs> how Charles Wallace uh, went into it. He trusted too much to his own strength. They, they kind of explain it as he, by allowing himself by not refusing it, that's how it got him. Because the only reason they were able to stay out is they had refused it. And this thing for thousands of centuries had been taking people over because no one would refuse it. So those mm. centers of its giant brain had become atrophied and it was unable to deal with fighting somebody who was refusing. It's not used to being resisted. And Meg slowly recovers. She starts out with barely being able to talk to finally getting a little bit of movement and she's just cold. And of course she's wondering where's Charles Wallace. Um, we already explained it. I don't know <laughs> if she's been paying attention for the yeah. I don't know if she's been paying attention for the past couple of chapters, but it has her. It, yep. it has him. Yep. Now, uh, they explain that what happened was they figured out how to test her, uh, the project that the father was on. They figured out how to test her, and they couldn't try it on dogs or, or monkeys like normal. They had to do it with a human. And so they drew straws, and he was actually second. The first man, they don't know what happened. He just disappeared. Uh, they saw him go. He vanished right in front of everybody, and they waited a year for him to return, and they got nothing. He did. <laughs> He's probably dead. I don't know why they sent a second guy. <laughs> he ended up on that 2D planet. <laughs> yeah. Her dad explains it as them being children playing with dynamite, which I don't see the problem with that. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. As long as they're not playing with dynamite and matches. Right. Well, I don't know. It depends on how old the dynamite is. Yeah, but uh, they're playing with a power that they do not understand. Absolutely. Yeah, that's where Meg opens her eyes. Meg is still feeling like she's frozen. Um, she is slowly trying to wake up. She keeps on asking where Charles Wallace is, as if it's going to change. They re And then she kind of realizes that they left without Charles Wallace, but they had to leave him there because if they yanked him away, he could have died. Meg is pissed off at Kelvin for telling him to, telling Mr. Murray to test her, and She's mad at Mr. Murray for running away. And then Mr. Murray's kind of like, hey, we shouldn't be trying to blame anybody for anything here. Yeah, she was yelling. She's yelling at them. But it states she did not realize that she was as much in the power of the black thing as Charles Wallace. Yeah, she just kind of goes off on him. Yeah. Starts yelling at him. You shouldn't have taken me until he learned to do it better when they're talking about tessering. And she's he's trying to help and she says, you're hurting me. But then we like, meet. Good. That means these, you can feel things. <laughs> but then we get to meet these three strange things that we're approaching. They're dull gray. They have four arms. Far more than five fingers to each hand. And the fingers weren't fingers. They were tentacles. Ooh, yep. girl. They had heads. They had faces. But where the faces of the creatures on Ural had seemed far more than human faces, these seemed far less. Yep. They just had soft indentations where the eyes would be and more tentacles where the ears would be. <laughs> There's just tentacles all over. So they're giant tentacle monsters. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and they talked through their waving tentacles as well, apparently. Yeah, because they, they had a mouth-like indentation, but it wasn't a mouth. 
The tentacles smell good. Meg is just revolted by these things. She does not like them. As and the, as they get closer, she just is. She felt utter utter loathing and revulsion as it reached out a tentacle to touch her face. But then she felt good after it did touch her face. So what it is is these things are able to combat the the black. The, yeah. The the, back, the the darkness. The the evil. And so it is. They don't. So the the evil is what is repulsed by these creatures, not Meg herself. Because again, right. Meg is not Meg right now. Meg has the darkness in her. Yeah, because the they awesome had to band, test her through it. But the <laughs> she believes the, in a thing called love. It, oh, dude, that is my go-to karaoke song. I love it. It's great. <laughs> Just listen to rhythm my heart. Uh, <laughs> so haven't been to karaoke in two years. Pandemic, but pandemic. <laughs> So mainly this goes through a period of they're they're trying to figure out what's going on and one of the creatures takes Meg to try and heal heal her. Uh, Meg is pissed off at her dad. And they actually speak to Kelvin because they're better able to talk to him because, again, Kelvin's special power was communication. So they are talking to the creatures and the creatures are asking where they're from and where they came from and how they got there. And they basically say that they have to take Meg. Because she needs prompt and special care. Yes, this child is in danger. You must trust us. And they feel like they can save her. And they do. (laughs) The black thing. Yes, the black thing burns unless it is counteracted properly. So they take Meg and... They know how to uh, counteract the darkness through the power of tentacles. Basically, they like cradle her against uh, against their bodies. Are they furry? Does it say they have like? Yeah, their tentacles are furry. Yeah, they're furry with a bunch of tentacles. Yeah. And after a while, she realizes she's not paralyzed anymore. She's like laying in some warm, soft thing and. She's talking about how her father didn't save her, the beasts had. Well, when you pin all your hopes and dreams on this person that's been gone for four years, there's a good chance he's going to disappoint you. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, he did get them out of there. Well, all except for Charles Wallace, because it still has Charles Wallace. Yes. Right. So the beast is helping to heal Meg, and Meg is feeling much better. And she says, what should I call you, please? So she, the beast didn't know. She's like, try to think of a, think of a word. And Meg was like, said, was thinking mother. And she said, no, mother is a special one, a one name and a father you have here. Not just friend nor teacher, nor brother, nor sister. What is acquaintance? What a funny hard word. Aunt or aunt. Being from Michigan, we pronounce it incorrectly. <laughs> we pronounce it through our nose. Aunt. Aunt. <laughs> so it's, yeah, then- aunt. Aunt beast. They go on for about three or four pages about what it is like to see things because these things don't have eyes. It'd be kind of weird to try and uh, describe how seeing works. <laughs> but again, these uh, these beasts, these creatures, uh, they see with tentacles. They reveal that the name of the planet is Ixchil, and it's in the same, uh, they share the same sun as Kamazots. They're in the same uh, system, at least. Okay, yeah, so he didn't take them too far away. She does call it Ant Beast, as in A-U-N-T, Ant Yeah, that's beast. what I said, Aunt Beast. Yeah, yeah we've covered that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Aunt Beast uh, returns Meg to uh, to Calvin and, and her father. And then they discuss about trying to get the miss, the Mrs. W's back. And so they tell Meg to, to try to think think of these things. 
So yeah, she at first she described Mrs. Whatsett in her man's coat and multicolored shawls and scarves, Mrs. Who and her white robes and the shivering spectacles, Mrs. Witch and her peaked cap and black gown quivering in and out of body. Then she realized this was absurd. She was describing them only to herself. This is the W's. And so then Aunt B said, don't try to use words. Just think about what they are. Because looking, the how they look doesn't help us. We don't have eyes. Right. <laughs> Thought we covered this. Your brother's not your brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't have eyes. We have tentacles. And then Calvin's like, angels, guardian angels, messengers, messengers of God. And Aunt Beast was like, ah, uh, still not clear enough. And then one of Aunt Beast's tentacle arms went around Meg's waist again. They are very young. And on Earth, their Earth, as they call it, they never communicate with other planets. They revolve all alone in space. Oh, the thin beast said, aren't they lonely? Suddenly a thundering voice reverberated through the great hall. We are here! That was too short. That was way too short. It's... That was too long. <laughs> That's how it sounded I, in the f- friggin' audiobook. So yeah. they have to do it. I have. If I have to do it, they have to do it once. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, Mrs. Witch is Dory speaking whale. <gasps> Hated that part. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the Mrs. W's are back. And with that, Meg, she felt her heart pounding with hope. And they recap everything that happened on Camazots to him, including another explanation of how it has Charles Wallace. (laughs) 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 Mr. Murray suggests that he goes back to get Charles Wallace. The W's say no, that he won't be able to do it. It's got to be Meg that does it. So, yeah, they just fight about who's going to go back for a long time. They do. Basically, they're spending a lot of time convincing Meg that it has to be her because the thing that they're saying without saying, the thing they have to explain to Meg without explaining to Meg <laughs> just uh, straight out is that uh, it's love that's going to to free Charles Wallace. And because uh, she has the greatest love for, for Charles, like dad, their dad does, hardly knows knows him. So it's got to be Meg. And, you know, Calvin just met him like that day. Right. Well, and and it's also like they don't tell her, obviously, but she even goes there thinking that it's anger that she needs to use. Right. Continue using her faults, her stubbornness and uh, argumentativeness. (laughs) Yeah, they actually bring up when uh, because she Meg was discouraged. But suppose I can't get Charles Wallace away from it. Stop. Mrs. Woods held up her hand. We gave you gifts the last time we took you to Camazots. We will not let you go empty-handed this time. But we can give you now... But what we can give you now is nothing you can touch with your hands. I give you my love, Meg. Never forget that. My love always. Hint. 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 (laughs) And then Mrs. Who tells her that God will protect her, basically. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised. Hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. 
She paused and then she said, may the right prevail. Wow. What right. <laughs> does that even mean? These are cosmic beings, by the way, that are like quoting the Bible. And we're in a universe where there are all these planets with all this life on it that have nothing in common except for apparently the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> or God. This is least, too cause... religious for me. We got to ban this book. Yeah, this book is way too religious. We don't want religious. these kids learning religion. And now she sciences the camisots. Man, this book is of the devil, dude. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta ban this book. Too much of the devil, not enough God. Science isn't fact. It's all theories. All the science, fake news. <laughs> so then Mrs. Witch tessers her to camisots, and before she leaves, she says, I'm gonna slow it. I'm not gonna say it like her, but I haven't... Oh, not giving don't. you my gift. You have something that it has not. This something is your only weapon, but you must find it for yourself. Then the voice ceased and Meg knew she was alone. <laughs> we can't just straight up tell you because it'll ruin the big revelation at the end of the book. <laughs> right. Even though we kind of already told you. <laughs> We've been circling around this for <laughs> a whole chapter now. She walks straight, straight back to Central Central Intelligence. Nobody's out anymore. No kids are bouncing balls. No people are heading to work or anything. She's just, do not pass go. Go directly to it. So at least that is uh, pretty economical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, she went there. Nothing between her and the final boss. There was a sudden sucking and she was within. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Which is weird because this is a children's book. Yeah. I think that's your other book you're reading, man. <laughs> nope, it was this one. <laughs> oh no, nope, there it is. <laughs> yep. A sudden sucking, and she was within. <laughs> that's why yep. I read it. <laughs> <laughs> she noticed uh, Charles was in here, and as she saw him, it was it's again not Charles. as though. Wait, wait, wait! As <laughs> oh. she saw him, it was again as though she had been punched in the gut stomach. For she had to realize afresh that she was seeing Charles, and yet it was not Charles at all. Where was? Charles Wallace, her own beloved Charles Wallace. She is so at this point, she thinks that being angry is what's gonna beat it because she knows that she has anger, but that's not what she got that it hasn't got right. She realizes that it has anger and it has hatred, but what it doesn't have is some love. <laughs> How she comes to realize it, though, is quite quite sly, because she's thinking about Mrs. What's-It. You're lying about that, and you were lying about Mrs. What's-It, she screamed. Mrs. What's-It hates you, Charles Wallace, not Charles Wallace said. <laughs> and that's where it made its final mistake, for as Meg said automatically, Mrs. What's-It loves me, and that's what she told me, that she loves me. Suddenly, she knew. She knew. Love. 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 W-U-V. Wav, woo, wav. She had Mrs. Watson's love and her father's and her mother's and the real Charles Wallace love and the twins and Aunt Beast. She had her love for them. She didn't know how to use it. I can tell you how to use it. You got to push all that love down into a little like solid piece, right? And then you got to put gunpowder in a casing, put the love in there, jam it in, and then find a love gun. And then you shoot the brain in the head with a love gun. <laughs> <laughs> or you put all that love into a ring and then you hold that ring up and you go heart and then it'll <laughs> zap it with with love beams that's how they do it in south america anyway so she basically loves charles wallace she's like i love you she looked gave him a look of love and she was thinking i love you i love you i love you <laughs> 
And then suddenly he was free and he went running towards her. She said, I love you, Charles. I love you. I love you. I love you. Now, there was a note on this that I took from the uh, the afterward about how Madeline Langle would get very annoyed when anyone would talk about the power of love. Like the power of love is what uh, freed uh, Charles Wallace or what Meg used. But uh, Madeline Lingle always insisted that love is not power, which she always considered, or she considered always coercive. To love is to be vulnerable, and it is only in vulnerability and risk, not safety and security, that we overcome darkness. Which is an interesting way to look at it. And that's where the author was coming from as far as love's role in all this. Yep. Okay. Love as a vulnerability and not a power. Now, as fast as uh, as fast as he was saved, all of a sudden they were like swept away, and next thing you knew, they were standing on Earth again, right in the in the twins' vegetable garden. Oh, they're gonna be pissed! <laughs> <laughs> not my veggies. Mister Murray's there, and he's like, "I gotta go talk to your mom because it's been years." And, and I talk, totally, I mean, fuck. I totally she's think high. she's going to be down. <laughs> talk about brain. I'm going to be getting some brain tonight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can you can stay out here and eat some vegetables. I got to go, um, <laughs> go see your mom. Got to go give something. your mom my carrot. <laughs> <laughs> got to go uh, do the Tesseract with your mama. So, yeah, they get back and everyone's back. Kelvin shouts, Meg, you did it. You saved Charles because he's back. He's, he's he's Charles Wallace again, you guys. Is he, though? Yay. Ooh, or is he? I guess we don't know, because that's basically the end of the book. Right. Which I thought was kind of funny. Like, this book does suddenly go from where, like, like clearly Madeline Lingle doesn't know how to write, like, an action <laughs> moment. An, ep- an epilogue. <laughs> yeah, because, like, all of a sudden, they're, it's like... I got Charles Wallace. Like, so wait a second. So you went there to get was I know they were looking for the father, but like all the way through the book, they made it feel like there was something bigger they needed to do. Like they needed Mm -hmm. to fight this big creature. And that's why they were taking them. Right. Right. But they get the father and then that doesn't work out because they lose Charles Wallace. So she goes back, she gets Charles Wallace. And all of a sudden, these three cosmic beings are just like, you're good. See you later. Have fun. (laughs) Woo. Yeah, they didn't actually (laughs) defeat the bad guy. No, they they didn't defeat the bad guy. That's why I was upset. I was like, really? (laughs) They don't even beat him. This is They never defeated the darkness. They bested it for a time. No, they didn't. They 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 saved one person. They're all back on Earth. Yeah. Yeah. Kamazots is still in the same situation it's in. All the other planets that are threatened by the darkness are still threatened Mm -hmm. by the darkness. I mean, yeah, they didn't defeat shit. They didn't even really establish a sequel coming no, up. No, like, not at all. Like the the climax was like the cliff edge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's no like tapering down. It's just a, a joyful uh, reunion back we at, did the, it. at the Murray home. <laughs> Yay. Yay. And the, the three W's come in and say, yep, you sure did. You did it. Good <laughs> Not so much job, a, motherfuckers. Meg, you have to come with me. Yeah. We have to go back. Well, Back to the future. <laughs> I was going to say, the darkness will appear back on uh, near Earth, uh, on the way back to Earth in 2263, because love is what defeats the big black 
thing in the fifth element. So oh, yeah. is it is that the same black thing? It was, it's a big black evil. Mm. Is the fifth element is the fifth dimension? Yeah. And I almost wonder if uh, I can't remember the, her name now in the in the show, but I almost wonder if she is a reincarnation of Meg. Remember how they like they like clone oh. her? Yeah, the real maybe. the real person or or Lilo Dallas Multipass. Lilo Dallas Multipass. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say her real name's Mila Jovovich. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. I was slightly obsessed with her because this movie came out <laughs> in 1997, and I was in tenth grade. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I love the Fifth Element. So I was obsessed with her to a point where I was able to watch Resident Evil and actually think it was a decent movie the first time. <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe you should rewatch that you just rewatched uh green lantern no i'm i've rewatched uh the resident evil movies i already know they are all very bad <laughs> oh okay <laughs> yeah, i've only seen all, like three of them so yeah they are all very very bad so yeah they uh they didn't defeat the bad thing but they're all safe so that's how the story ends uh dad's gonna go in and get his dick wet um, <laughs> the author is going to go get a Newberry. And it got a Newberry award. And Charles Wallace is back to being Charles Wallace. Yep. And we didn't learn anything. Nope. <laughs> nope. We learned a, a, quite a bit about the. Well, universe. we definitely learned that Charles Wallace wasn't Charles Wallace for a time. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, we, we definitely. That was definitely made clear to us. <laughs> I remember the video that I saw was hosted by Carl Sagan. Because I could not think of his name. And then I was like, oh, yeah, Carl Sagan. He so, explained the Tesseract to me. Oh. Okay. Yes. Now, I will find that clip and put it on Reddit. A tesseract. It's, it's a good clip. It's really interesting. Okay. I have never watched any of the Wrinkle in Time movies. And I know there's like two of them, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah. They're I've not watched any of them. pretty close to each other, too. Yeah. So we need to watch. I want to watch the newer one. The yeah, one I want to watch the newer one as well. We need to watch mm-hmm. it for our reliterated, reiterated episode and see if we understand things a little bit better after watching the movie. Because, I mean, well, yes, we Oprah's did learn some it. things. <laughs> We learned we had like established about, Oprah's in it. We learned about the traveling and the Tesseract and all that kind of stuff in this. But at, again, at the end of the day, they didn't defeat anything. They just were able to save Charles after saving their father. So apparently these cosmic beings came out of nowhere to help them save their father of all the things. What happened to the first guy? Who the fuck knows? Who cares? <laughs> you know, but <laughs> their father had to be saved. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know. Well, I'm trying to remember like what happened in the Matrix, like the the first Matrix movie where it set up that whole universe and like what ex- they didn't exactly defeat uh, the machines for all time. No, but he defeated Agent Smith. Yeah, he defeated Agent Smith, who was a virus in the Matrix. Yeah, yeah. The Matrix well, he literally became a virus. Out Neo to defeat Agent Smith because they couldn't yeah. control him. That's yeah, later. what the arc was, yeah. In the first one, Agent Smith was was just a, an agent of the, the machine world. And yeah. in the second one, right. he was a virus what, because he decided what actually not ha- to die. What actually happened? Uh, I'm trying to... Okay, so so Neo dove remember. inside of Agent yeah. Smith and tried to erase Neo. him. Oh, yeah. He yeah. realized then, his power and then he... Use the power of love. Yeah, he used the power of love to destroy Agent Smith. But Agent oh, right. Smith dis- Trinity was- used the power of love to bring Neo back. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yes. 
Yep, the power of love was there. But then he beat up Agent Smith. So, I mean, like, if she had used the power of love to bring back Charles Wallace and then Charles Wallace, Charles Wallace made the brain explode, okay, that would have been something. Yeah, so, like, the Matrix is a wrinkle in time, only Charles Wallace is the one, and he's the one who defeats... It, it, what is this darkness? This darkness is a brain? I mean, it's actually a physical giant brain? What does that mean? <sighs> Brains are bad? You shouldn't be thinking, think- only by with the grace of God can we move forward. Kill your brain for it is darkness. Brains are darkness. <laughs> I mean, what is that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know whether, I don't think it is the source of the darkness. No. It is probably like a, an agent of the darkness. It's a weird agent. Like I said, it's the big black planet. That's the big baddie. Hmm. But you guys, you, you do realize that the power of love is a curious thing. <laughs> Make one man weep, make another man sing. Well, all I know is that when I get that feeling, I need sexual healing. (laughs) Just like Mr. Murray. Yeah, just like Mr. Murray. Or or Meg with the tentacle creatures. (laughs) Yeah, that was a weird thing, too. Tentacle (laughs) healing. Because, like, there is a point in there where they say that Meg realizes all her clothes have been removed. And it's like, ew. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Well, all right. Well, that was a wrinkle in time. All right. So would you guys recommend it? Man, I mean, if you're doing like some sort of retrospective on like science fiction, um, like uh, the elements of science fiction that come back later in uh, uh, some of the uh, more modern day stories, like this has a lot of ideas that got reused and like rehashed in a lot of stories like The Matrix, like... uh, um marvel with the tesseract i mean well yeah the the yeah, tesseract came into play in the mcu yeah and the maybe maybe the fifth element was uh, yeah, incorporated possibly. some of these ideas but yeah there's a lot of um not just science fiction tropes but like fiction tropes uh established in this and like it's like an early example of modern storytelling right but i don't know if i would recommend it. i i mean we'll have to I'd almost give my recommendation of this book after we see the movie because I have a feeling that watching the movie would be a much easier way. It, it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a torturous book. It is well written <laughs> and it's interesting, but there come points that her going on and on about, for instance, whether Charles Wallace is Charles Wallace or not, <laughs> is torturous. It's like, wow, what is happening right now? And I remember even reading it when I was reading it, like I would just like my brain would numb for a couple pages and I'd be like, what did I just read? Hmm. Yeah, I, I have to I have to say I, I would not recommend this book. It was it was a slog to get through because, yeah, a lot of those parts, they just go on and on about the same thing and i'm just like Mm -hmm. can we please move on with the story and then i get to the end and it's this bullshit ending and i'm like fuck you (laughs) fuck you and your stupid ending i don't like it because it's not a real ending it's most of the stories we're used to they go on from there like they that's the uh the small fry climax before the big climax yeah but she never she never planned on writing more she just ended up writing more right 
Which gives her an ability. I mean, it did leave it to a point where she could easily write more and have more happen to everybody. But it very, it very much reminded me of reading Tolkien. And yeah. I know that a lot of people go on and on and say they like Tolkien. I don't believe any of them. I think they just say it because they think it makes them cool. But Tolkien is the worst kind of writing, as with this in the fact that it is not engaging. It is too descriptive and it it argues over and over about things that are established already. You established them easily and succinctly three pages ago, yet I'm still reading about this fucking leaf pendant that helps you <laughs> stay invisible in the woods. Okay, it, like... I can see where the stories might be good, and and I like that kind of fantasy, uh, Tolkien or this type of fantasy, space fantasy, old school fantasy. I like that stuff, but it's like they know that so much of that kind of fantasy has been written that they're trying to do something different, and what they don't realize while they're doing something different, I say with my quote fingers, is that they're just adding unnecessary lengths of words to what they're saying. I do. I do see that. And, um, you know, this being kind of, uh, an earlier example of like what, the kind of stories that we, we see, uh, coming out these days, but I kind of view it as like the, the hunk of block from which, uh, storytellers throughout the years have learned to to whittle down and make economical and um, to show rather than tell uh, from these uh, books that were written pro- maybe to be long-winded and, or like fantastical to help you escape and immerse you in, an, in another reality like through writing and I feel like this is the kind of stuff that we have uh, whittled down and and made into like movies that can be digested in a couple of of hours or like like books are written differently nowadays um, than they were back back in the fifties and sixties um, in part to be more like these movies that where uh, we show rather than tell and I, I can agree with that too I mean they didn't oh, have. Yeah. They had TV, but it wasn't like we have TV now. They had movies, but it wasn't like we have movies. And they had radio, but it isn't like we had radio. So books still had a lot of grasp on the on people. And now, in order for somebody to read a book, that book has to, like you're saying, it has to show rather than tell because people have to be engaged in it. And back then, you were more likely to be engaged just because of the fact that it was a cool way to escape for a little while and you didn't really have a way to uh to visually show it in like film or tv back in that uh those days no. technology no they couldn't have tessered around back then <laughs> but they had 50 foot spiders <laughs> <laughs> and we have cgi superhero costumes yep oh yes that aren't all that bad and people really need to take it back and watch it again see what they think now now one element that was in this book that uh, was not too common in that day and something that we uh, were lacking in last chapter was a female protagonist in a female written book yes and uh, but how do we feel that this female protagonist was was treated is this uh is this the feminist kind of character that uh 
that she's cracked up to be. I mean, a lot of girls can relate to like how Meg feels about herself, but I don't know the way that she's treated <clears throat> doesn't seem to be like a very you know, evolved <laughs> feminist kind of treatment. I'll sum up my character. Fe- I was going to say, let me, Go ahead. I'll, I'll sum up my feelings in a simple sentence. Meg, don't you worry your pretty little head about it. <laughs> See, I have a little bit more complicated wordy and possibly arguing whether or not Charles Wallace is Charles Wallace explanation Mm. to it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think that this book sets Meg up to be confident, come into her own and become a more strong feminine protagonist role. But as we learn in the afterward, unfortunately, Meg goes on to actually play a supporting role as Kelvin's lab assistant. And he marries her and has kids and, or she has kids and uh, she basically takes care of the kids and is a lab assistant while apparently Kelvin goes on the adventures. So Madeline Lingle doesn't take that opportunity with this character she's starting to create in this book to make a strong female character. She kind of like kowtows to the idea that the hero has to be a guy. Hmm. In her defense to that, uh, I think it's from the, uh, the afterward as well. But uh, to my recollection, when like when she is questioned about why uh, Meg takes a more supporting role and becomes the uh, like the, raising of the kids and the assistant to uh, uh, Dr. Calvin O'Keefe later on. Um, She defends it as kind of as one being like the characters are like, they come from her, her mind and where they go um, is kind of like she can, she has a feel for where these characters might go, might choose what choose to do uh, for themselves. And so she said something to the to the lines of like feminism gives a, gives a woman the freedom to choose to um, to have like a a career and um, be uh, whatever what all that entails. But she also has the freedom to choose to uh, focus on her family and be that role for her family. And who's to say that that's a wrong choice? Right. And and I have to agree with that. Like sometimes I think that the messages that we get today or have been getting for the past four years can be extremely confusing because on one hand, these messages say, oh, you know, this, you know, you have the power and the freedom of this and that. But then when somebody chooses something that is a more traditional role, everybody's like, oh, you're just playing into this or that. Oh, you're awful. Like, right. Way to stand up for womankind. Taking yeah, care like, of your kids. <laughs> everybody's supposed to like fight in this crazy fight. Like sometimes people don't need to. We also still need to keep making more people so maybe their kids can fight. You know, I mean, like, so (laughs) it's it's a difficult thing because on one end of it, people are saying you have the freedom to be an individual and choose your own way. Right. But on the other Mm -hmm. end of it, when you don't choose the way that they want you to choose or you act a certain other way, they're like, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, so (laughs) sometimes the people that think they're the good guys and the people that think they're. You know, let's get it right. Everybody thinks they're the good guy, right? The bad guys think mm-hmm. they're the good guys, too. At the end of the day, who's the good guy and who's the bad guy is all up to each individual perspective. 
Unless we're talking about Nazis. Nazis are the bad guys and everybody They're always should, the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everybody should just agree with that. Yeah. And if you don't agree with that, it's because you're a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. If you, don't, if you don't agree with that, you can stop listening to our podcast. We're okay. Yeah. We're okay with that. How do you know if you're a Nazi? You don't think the Nazis were bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> Roald Dahl? Nazi. Yep. <laughs> A Nazi that fought Nazis, though. We gotta give him that. I uh, want them mm. self hating Nazis. Yeah. Yeah, he wanted They're them the self hating Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> Always running off to Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, guys, uh, what do we got lined up for next week? All right. Well, first of all, Wait a minute. Oh, wait. First no, of we all, we've got some mayo. We almost forgot real because we haven't. Or yes, is it, it is. Or is it yep, from Tahar to, again? Nope. <laughs> nope. This week, an actual listener slid into our DMs on Facebook. Oh, I want to awesome. read it. I want to read all it because right. I replied to it. Okay. Uh, the listener that slid into the DMs is Katie, and she mm-hmm. writes, Hey, Reliterated, I enjoy listening to you guys, but I'm too old to really enjoy some of these. May I ask no, you to give not. some give your adult male assessments of the Babysitters Club or Sweet Valley High? And we have done the Babysitters Club, uh, Chapter Two, Episode Two is the Ghost at Dawn's House, and that would be we, uh, which which episode is as far as uh, um, like episode numbers because we don't number it by uh, by our chapters. We don't. We don't. You're right. You know, and I told her that on the message, so I apologize. Right, I would refer you to episode 10. Episode Episode 10 10. is our Babysitter's Club episode on the Ghost at Dawn's House. Yep. And that is not the only Babysitter's Club book that we will cover. Nope, we will do it in the future. Now, when I mentioned Sweet Valley High to my wife, she actually said she read more of those than she ever did the Babysitter's Club. So Sweet Valley High is something that we should definitely look into. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If I'm it down. was popular in the 90s, we want to cover it. Yep. But I will say, Katie, I mean, I'm nearly 40 years old. How old can you be? <laughs> <laughs> Katie, Katie's a friend of mine. She is not that much older than me. Yeah. And, so, I mean, you know, we're, we're covering books from like the 50s and 60s. Like, we, we just show yeah. this web first. And these are just books that uh, kids were reading in the 90s. And I'm sure kids were reading them in the 80s, too. Yep. <laughs> Some some of them, anyways. Maniac McGee would not be of, of that. You know, that was Josh. Right, yeah. Josh hadn't read that and stuff like that. But yeah, and Goosebumps, maybe not either, depending on how. Yeah, not Goosebumps. Home. Yeah, maybe not But goosebumps a lot of them, either. the Willy Wonkas and the yep. uh, Mouse and the Motorcycles, uh, those are around. And we highly suggest those episodes. Yep. But we definitely do want to look into, I want to look into Sweet Valley High. And yep. uh, we do plan on doing some ba- more Babysitter's Club for sure. Um so yeah thank you so much for contacting us we are pouring the praise upon you because (laughs) it's a real interaction guys we're going places (laughs) (laughs) thanks katie thank you katie so so how can they uh interact with us andy well you can send us an email to reliterated at gmail.com or you can find us other places you can tweet at us at Reliterated on Twitter. We are Reliterated on Instagram. You can join the Reliterated subreddit at r slash Reliterated. 
Highly recommended. And we are also available on YouTube. However, I will tell you this. If you write reliterated on YouTube, make sure you put reliterated podcast. Because if you just say reliterated, it will automatically change it to reiterated. And you'll just be staring at a bunch of <laughs> strange videos. Yeah. You, I, I don't know why it assumes that you messed up when you wrote the L. Because clearly <laughs> reliterated right. is an important word. Yeah. Watch that autocorrect when you look for us uh, in these places. Also, something really weird is going on on uh, on our YouTube, which we haven't addressed here on the podcast yet. But uh, you know, when we um, when we release every episode, our uh, uh, Podbean, our uh, uh, where we host all these uh, all these episodes, it automatically uh, puts together a video, releases that episode on YouTube, and <clears throat> our Indian in the Cupboard uh, episode has inexplicably gotten a lot of views somehow. The- Last time I checked, it was at 99 views. Yeah, which is way above, like, the next <laughs> closest uh, video. So I have no idea what's going on. Has anyone commented on it? No, no one's commented on it or anything. Odd. Yeah, it's really weird. So if any of our listeners has any insight why this YouTube, <laughs> yeah, it's still at 99. Is it still at 99? Okay, stopped out at 99. Our next highest video is at 16, and that's our uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory video game uh, video. Yeah, it oh, makes yeah, no if sense. Any of, if any of you listeners have any insight as to why, like, I think it's because we mentioned glory holes in the com- in the uh, description of the episode. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But who's on uh, YouTube looking for glory holes for real? <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine you wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I probably not. At least 99 people, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) But there are no dirty glory holes in this video. I will have that uh, be known. We simply talk about glory holes and its archaic uh, meaning to be like a catch-all room, like a junk room, the junk drawer room, sort of. They can go listen to it, Andy. It's fine. Yeah. Yep. We highly recommend you do, because that was a good episode. They're all good episodes. They're all good episodes. No, it's particularly good. We've added another 10 minutes (laughs) since we read the Lizard Rail. What do we have lined up for next week, then? My hairiest balls. My hairiest balls. (laughs) That's that's maybe the porn version of the the book. But we're going to go back to Goosebumps next week. Goosebumps. The second Goosebumps. We're reading My Hairiest Adventure. Yes, this was the one that I remembered one part of, and I was like, yeah, that'll be the one that I want. So, yeah, you'll get to hear our thoughts on that next week. (laughs) Very nice. I'm excited to do Goosebumps again. Yeah, Mm -hmm. those are always fun. It's been too long. Yep. So so how are we going to play this? Like, one chapter we do Goosebumps, and the next chapter we do a Babysitter's Club or Sweet Valley High? Yeah, kind of like that. I think that's fair. Play it by ear. Yeah. 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 So if you're reading along with us by chance, uh, that's the book to pick up and read. Shouldn't take it very long. It's Goosebumps. They're very easy to read. And we will see you that uh, next week. Yep. <laughs> Until week. then, give a shit, read some lit. Thanks, guys. Have a wonderful whatever day time it is there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was man, like, I'm going to mess this up do? as bad as possible. That's how. <laughs> That's how you do it, guys. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye.